0: Let's, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we want to get into your word now. Look and see what you're saying about you and who you are. About us and who we are. And find a hope in the midst of that. Find the answer to life. Oh, Father, help us to see Christ today. Help us to see Jesus as the King, as the one we need. And Father, specifically today, as we are here in the middle of Mark chapter 9, which we began last week, Father, that we would be refreshed and encouraged and pushed on in the faith that we would be believing. Father, we ask your blessing upon this this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please turn the Bible to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, that's where we were last week. It's where we're going to be for uh, quite a while now. We're looking at uh, the second half of Mark's gospel. We began that last week and today is a big one. It is the transfiguration. If you're new to church, maybe you've not Uh, ever heard of the transfiguration, and so I'm glad you're going to get to today. If you uh, don't read your Bible and you've never heard of the transfiguration, then I'm glad you're going to get to today. The transfiguration is as uh, big and significant and important passage in the Bible uh, as any other. It is a passage that shows us the great glory of Jesus. Many have called this the, the, the second most important passage in the Gospels, other than the glorified, resurrected Jesus, this is the glorified Jesus just there on a mountain. And he gives us a little window, a little picture, a little sign of who he really is. One of the benefits of us walking through the books of the Bible the way we do is that everything that I've already said builds upon what I'm about to say, right? That's what, we've got a chain going on here, and so if you were here last week and you can remember what I I talked about, that will help you so much with what we're going to Uh, go over today. Last week, we looked at Mark chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible, it's laid out kind of weird there because that one verse is the end of the previous passage. And then after that, you have a break, and verse 2 starts a new section, which which is odd for it to be laid out that way. But one of the things I showed you is that one verse that we looked at last week was to, was to be a bridge. It was to connect what he's about to do in chapter 9, the transfiguration, and what he just said going back to chapter 8, verse 27. Chapter 8, verse 27 to the end of the chapter is, is a tough passage. It's the first time that Jesus looks somebody in the eye and says, Who do you say that I am? And they give that great confession that you are the Christ. Jesus affirms them. In their understanding of that, Jesus then begins to teach about how he is the Christ. If you're looking for uh, a connection to why the world and, and so many people you know, in Fairdale and in, in the world around us, and so many people in your lives, how they, they, they misunderstand Christianity, they misunderstand Jesus, they, they don't really know God, and yet they, they, they say a lot about it, and sometimes they think that they are. Many many uh, profess to be Christians but just quite frankly they're not it's because they don't understand what Jesus has taught they 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 don't know the whole message and in this end of chapter 8 you have Jesus saying who do you say that I am Peter says you are the Christ Jesus says that is the answer and flesh and blood did not reveal that to you it is only from the father that you know that God has given you that understanding he has saved you and caused you to know that And right after that, Jesus starts to go over the suffering and uh, the beatings and the torture and the death that he will have to face. And Peter doesn't like it. And let me be clear here, and I've done this now every time we've talked about this. If you want to have Jesus, or you want to have church, or you want to have Christianity without the sin and the suffering and the dying of Jesus on the cross, then you cannot have it. They go together. Matter of fact, not only is it a package deal, there is no such thing as knowing God, having a relationship with God, or loving God if it does not first come from being forgiven of your sins, your sins that caused Jesus to die. That's the honest truth of the Bible. And it's a glorious truth. It's one that we are so happy to be believing in. It's one that lets everybody know, every flawed human being, everybody who has sinned, it lets us know that there is hope and there is forgiveness in God and it comes through the work that Christ has done. What a very, very fitting song that we would do a throwback and we would sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. For it is only through the death of Christ and his blood shed that we could be forgiven. And when Jesus starts talking about that, Peter gets all upset and he tries to stop him and he says no. And Jesus has to turn and rebuke him and calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. It's really a troubling passage how intense it is. And then he lays out for them the cost of discipleship that you need to follow me. And if anybody wants to follow me, they must take up their cross and deny themselves and follow me. And if you're going to be ashamed of me, then my Father will be ashamed of you. And what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and you go after this and you go after that, but you forfeit your soul? And Jesus now is preaching, if you will, about the high calling that there is to be a true Christian. And I know a lot of times we think if we water it down or we make it smaller or, or make it lower or easier to attain, that sometimes that'll make it better and more people will get into it. But hasn't the history of the world shown that that just doesn't work? That just doesn't work. We have to say and teach what Jesus said and taught and trust that God will provide life and forgiveness and peace through it. And so after they hear that high calling, there is the sense of, wow this thing is hard. And the Bible never shies away from that. To follow Christ is hard, but it says it's worth it. And not only does it say it's worth it, it says he will empower us through the difficulty. And right when the disciples are taking in all that I just said, we're at the end of chapter 8, and we've heard chapter 9, verse 1, and we get to our passage today, the Transfiguration. And I don't know if you've ever had something that came just in time. I mean the perfect pick-me-up. I mean the cup of coffee when your eyelids are heavy. I mean the word of encouragement when you have been so down and out. I don't know if you've ever thought, man, that was right on time. In the Gospel of Mark, the transfiguration is right on time. The disciples are feeling the way many of you feel here in 2017 as a Christian. This is hard. This is complicated. This is confusing. This is a lot to process. And then we get to our passage today. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. We'll read through verse 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. What a passage. There are really four people that I want you to see in this passage. Four. The first is the shining light. Son, the shining sun. That's S O N. Number two, the visiting saints. The visiting saints. Number three, the confused student. The confused student. Number four, the affirming father. The affirming father. The shining sun, the visiting saints, the confused student, and the affirming father. I've already talked to you about how this passage comes right in the nick of time. It comes as a huge blessing and encouragement to the disciples. If you were to say at the end of chapter 8 that the disciples were heavy and they were worried and they were burdened, when you get to this part of chapter 9, they are loving it. Peter, not even knowing what he meant to say, says it's good for us to be here and recognizes that seeing God in all of his glory right there in the person of Jesus Christ is an unbelievable thing. It's an encouragement. This passage is meant for us to be an encouragement. And I want to read this lengthy quote to you from J.C. Ryle. He says, there can be no doubt that this was one of the principal purposes of the transfiguration, to encourage them. It was meant to teach the disciples that though their Lord was lowly and poor in appearance now, he would one day appear in such royal majesty as become the Son of God. It was meant to teach them that when their master came the second time, his saints, like Moses and Elijah, would appear with him. It was meant to remind them that though reviled and persecuted now, because they belonged to Christ, they would one day be clothed with honor and be partakers of their master's glory. We have reason to thank God for this vision. We are often tempted to give up Christ's service because of the cross and affliction which it entails. Listen to this. We see few with us and many against us. We find our names cast out as evil, and all manner of evil said of us, because we believe and love the gospel. Year after year, we see our companions in Christ's service removed by death, and we feel as if we knew little about them, except that they are gone to an unknown world, and that now we are left alone here. All these things are trying to flesh and blood. No wonder that the faith of believers sometimes languishes. And you're here today thinking, yes, sometimes my faith languishes. No wonder their eyes fail while they look for hope. Let us see in the story of the transfiguration a remedy for such doubting thoughts as these. The vision of the holy mount is a gracious pledge that glorious things are in store for the people of God. Their crucified Savior shall come again in power and great glory. His saints shall all come with him and are in safe keeping until that happy day. May we wait patiently. And as Colossians 3 says... When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we too will also appear with him in glory. Even as we get started today, I hope that the transfiguration will be that very thing to you. It will be a reminder to you here that the Jesus you've heard of and the Jesus that died for you and the Jesus that is still living now and reigns, that that Jesus is alive and well and he can and he will take care of you. He is the glorious God. And you can trust him. This is what the transfiguration wants to communicate to the disciples. Although they're not even there yet, it is letting us know this. So let's begin with the shining sun. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. That's the first verse in our passage, verse 2, and it recalls so much, knowing that this is the transfiguration, it recalls so much of what we see in Exodus with Moses. You remember that? Moses was called up on a high mountain. Do you remember that, Mount Sinai? And God comes to him in all of his glory, albeit a cloud. God comes to him and he takes him up there. To get even more specific, in Exodus 24, it says that they were there six days. Six days. What's it say right here? Six days, no doubt. Mark had in mind the glory coming on the mountain for Moses to see when he wrote of the glory of God coming upon Jesus and shining through Jesus for Peter, James, and John to see. Six days recalls Exodus. The high mountain recalls Exodus. The glory of God right there before them recalls Exodus. And it says that Peter, James, and John were there. I think you know this. But Jesus had his 12 guys... His 12 disciples, and that's who followed him. But in that 12, there was like a, an inner circle. There were three that seemed to be his closest guys, his, his best of friends. It says that those were with him more often than not, and we see many times that Jesus and those three were together as we have it now. And, 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 and I want to remind you that this transfiguration is found in, again, I said this last week, in all three of the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of those gospels tell this story of the transfiguration. And it's Peter, James, and John, and they're up on a high Mountain, and he says it very simply, he was transfigured before them. Jesus was transformed. Transfigured just means to be to be changed in a form sense. He was transformed into something else. He became like something that he wasn't. I loved studying for this because I was learning so much. And John MacArthur pointed out that all the transformation happened on the outside. Because on the inside, he couldn't become more glorious. Amen? Jesus is God. And on the inside, it is through and through that he's God. But since he is also man on the outside, we may forget about that sometimes because he's so lowly and so poor and so humble and so not nothing to look at, Isaiah says. And he was so sacrificial and he was so, uh, so much of a servant that we didn't necessarily look at him and think, glory but on this mountain he was transfigured, transformed. He was changed. He he became looking like something else to them. And they were amazed at it. This word transfigured is only found four times. Listen to me, four times in the New Testament. In Mark's account here, in, um, in Mark's account here, in Matthew's account of this, Luke doesn't say this. It's Matthew and Mark. But then there's two others, and they're not talking about Jesus. Two other times in the New Testament, this word is used. You know where they are? Romans twelve two, which you know, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This very word, this idea of transformation is what Paul tells the church in Rome should be happening to us as we dig into the truth of God and are empowered by Christ. We will be transformed into somebody who lives our lives for God's glory as a reasonable act of worship or service. The other passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is a familiar passage too. It says that we all, beholding God's glory, will be transformed into the likeness of Christ from glory to glory. So we have four uses of the words transfigured or transformed in the New Testament, and two of them are transfiguration accounts where it says Jesus was transfigured, but two of them are, are, are in the epistles about what happens to us. Jesus here was changed. Well, what was he changed like? Verse 3 tells us. His clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And this is not just uh, an impressive thing. I want to remind you that throughout the Bible, time and time again, when God shows up, he shows up in a way that is light. Do you remember that? Do you remember the phrases in the Bible like, the light shines in the darkness? Remember that? You remember when it says he was the light? Do you remember when Jesus says in the I am statements that I am the light of the world? Do you remember in Psalm 104 where it says God wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide? Do you remember when they got the image in the book of Daniel of the ancient of days and it said that he was glowing white and his his clothes was as white as snow, like the, the brightest thing they had ever seen? Or do you remember the beginning of the book of Revelation? And you don't have to turn there, but let me read it to you. John, the Apostle John. He's on the island of Patmos in exile, left there to die because of his faithfulness to Christ in persecution. And while he's there, God gives him one vision. I turn to see the voice that was speaking to me, he says. The, hair of his head were, the hairs of his head were white like a white wool like snow. I don't know if you've ever been driving down the road and you're, you're going in one direction so the sun's not in your face and all of a sudden you, you make a turn or the road curves and next thing you know, the sun is right there. And a lot of times that morning sun is the worst, right? And immediately you reach for your sunglasses. Immediately you take your sun visor and flip it down. And immediately you start thinking, wow, that's bright. I can hardly see. Well, what a pale comparison that is to the full, all-out, bright, shining sun. The Bible describes here and in many other passages that Jesus became like that. Jesus possessed in him the fullness of the glory of God, which was veiled to us in his humanity, uh, but there on the mountain he was transfigured and turned into every single bit of that. Notice again in verse 3, he became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. In many ways, you might say this is an understatement. It's hard for us to really grasp what that would be like. Many a people have thought, man, I wish I could have been there that day and and seen what that was like. Jesus in all of his glory. No doubt that that vision would have changed your perspective and changed your feeling and certainly motivated you and encouraged you and and, and would have been a, a shot in the arm, if you will, for you to go and live for Jesus. There would have been no doubting after that that Christ is the glorious God. And that's what happened. That's what happened there. We have the shining sun. But in this scene of Jesus shining, the next thing that happens is is, is fascinating as well. We have the visiting saints. Look at verse 4. There in the midst of that appeared two of our heroes from the Old Testament from a long, long time ago. People that Peter, James, and John had never seen before. They died years ago. Elijah and Moses showed up. They were there. The transfiguration account is fascinating because of the shining sun, but it's also fascinating because of these visiting saints. Now, there are not just four people up on the mountain, Jesus and Peter, James, and John, but there are now six on the mountain because Moses and Elijah are there. This passage is unparalleled with a scene in the New Testament. You've got the Old Testament heroes, you've got the leaders of the apostles, and you've got the Lord Jesus himself all gathered there together. And what were they doing? Verse 4 says they were talking with Jesus let me first talk about who it was Moses and Elijah it's hard to figure out why these two at first glance you might say well the the law and the prophets Moses wrote the law and he seems to embody everything in the law and and Elijah was one of the prophets and he seems to be everything that the prophets were about but I'm not sure if that's it I mean it certainly makes us think of that but both were seen listen to me as great leaders of God's people. Both were seen, if you will, as great deliverers of God's people. Moses was the one who led the people out of slavery in Egypt, right? You remember that. The whole book of Exodus, Moses is the one who's leading them. As they're running from uh, Egypt and Pharaoh, as they're being set free, as they've been liberated, Moses is the one doing that. Moses was the one, if you will, that set them free. What about Elijah? Later on in the Old Testament, as the people of Israel had become idol worshippers, and they worshiped this false god, Baal, or Baal, as they were worshiping him, Elijah was the one who went and challenged them. And you remember the contest at Mount Carmel. You remember when Elijah was the one who who spoke up and said, No, our God will defeat you. And Elijah, all by himself, claimed God and said, No, my God will beat your gods. And he he went into that, and he showed that God is greater than all the other gods. And it was an encouragement to the people that they can trust in their God for he will overcome it. God is a deliverer in that sense. There are many thoughts that come to mind when we hear Moses and Elijah, but these two great heroes of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, are now here on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. I want to remind you of some of the words of Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers Moses is known to us as one of the greatest prophets if not the greatest prophet and yet Moses told us in Deuteronomy 18 that God will raise up for them a greater prophet he'll be like Moses but he'll be greater talking of Jesus on the mountain here we have Moses and Elijah with Peter, James and John and what were they doing? it says here that they were talking with Jesus Don't you wonder about that conversation? I wonder what they were saying? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us, and Mark doesn't tell us, but remember, I said it's in all three of the synoptic gospels. and if you look at Luke, you don't have to turn there. But if you look at Luke's passage, especially verse 31, listen to this. And <clears throat> behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Wow. They were talking of Christ's departure. They were talk- the, the word departure simply means exodus. They were talking about Jesus' exodus. Listen, if the mountain and the glory and the six days and Moses and Elijah didn't have you thinking about the Old Testament exodus already, imagine that Luke tells us that they were talking about Jesus' exodus. Imagine. But Exodus just means departure. What were they talking about? They were talking about the death of Jesus. As I said in the beginning, as Peter was rebuked two passages ago, The subject of all religion, the subject of all true Christianity is not what good can we do, is not what does God want us to do, but the real truth is, is how can we have our sins forgiven, and that answer comes only from the true God, for there's no other religion out there who even wants to begin to offer you how you can do that. They're going to tell you how you can be a good person, but nobody offers how you can get our guilt removed. Nobody else even talks about it, except for Christ who says, I'll take your burden on me. And even here, in this unbelievable passage of the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, Moses, and Elijah, they're having a conversation, and the thing they're talking about is the death of Christ and his burial and resurrection and going back to heaven. His exodus, if you will, his departure. Folks, we need a lot of examples on on what's the right way to live. We need more good people around us. We need happy people. We need energy people. We need high energy people. We need moral people. We need people with better morals. We need good families. We need good teachers and good community and all of that. But I assure you, I assure you, what we need more than every bit of that is the forgiveness of sins through the work of Jesus. We need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. Take your faith and your religion and your life and humble yourselves before God and say, God, forgive me. Oh God, Jesus died. Forgive me. This is what they're talking about. I'm so th- Matthew doesn't say it. Mark doesn't say it. But Luke tells us they were discussing his departure. Now, just a few simple observations. Moses and Elijah died a long time ago. They're still alive, aren't they? They're somewhere, aren't they? May you have great encouragement for all those who have died already in the faith. There may be all sorts of questions about where they're at and what they're doing. But that day, they were there alive and well. Here's another thing. These Old Testament saints were talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. The death, burial, and resurrection. Whether it's 2017, whether it's B.C., whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, whether it's Jew or Gentile, whether they know the Bible or whether they don't, there's one answer, it's the work of Christ. fascinating this conversation of the visiting saints so we've got the shining sun and the visiting saints but then after that we have the confused student verse 5 Peter speaks up and says to Jesus rabbi and this is why I said student because he calls him rabbi which means teacher teacher has a student he says rabbi it's good that we are here which is a good statement I like that I say that a lot on Sunday morning Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then Mark writes that he did not know what to say. Nice comment, Mark. Matthew didn't say that and Luke didn't say that, but Mark did. Mark kind of throws Peter under the bus here. He could have left that out. He didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't know what to say. And I want to give a little side note here. When you don't know what to say, what do you do? Do you just say something because that's better than saying nothing? Or do you wait and take it all in and learn from it, right? Peter here didn't know what to say, so he just said something, and it's not very good. Now, it sounds good at first, and many of you would have thought it was good, too. First of all, he says, Rabbi, he calls Jesus teacher. It's good for us to be here. That sounds okay. And then he says, this is awesome. Let's build some tents here. Let's just, let's just live here. I mean, I don't know where me, Peter, James, and John, I don't know where me and James and John are going to stay, but you three guys will make tents for you all. Let's just stay right here. This is awesome. Which means, yet again, Peter's way off. Jesus had just told him, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. That has to happen, and any type of church or religion or anything spiritual that wants to be about the good without the cross is bad, 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 bad. And Peter's done it yet again. He was just rebuked and called Satan for not wanting Jesus to talk about his death. And now the death hasn't come. They're on a mountain, and he says, let's set up a tent and let's just stay here. No. The confused student has it wrong. To make it a little bit worse, Matthew doesn't say it, Mark doesn't say it, but Luke says that Peter and the apostles were asleep. It says that they were sleeping. And after they woke up, Peter sees the glory and makes this statement, right? He just had to talk. That's how Peter always was. He had to say something. He was confused. He didn't know what he was talking about. Mark lets us know that. But it does say that they were terrified. And again, when God comes in his glory, this is often what the response is. And for those of you who claim to be children of God and God being your father, do you bow down before him? Do you understand that he is the reigning king? In John chapter 1, that passage that we read, where I showed you that, that, that John's vision of Revelation was like this one, it says that he heard Jesus talk and he fell down as his face as though dead, only to be picked up by Jesus. He said, John, get up, it's me. So the proper response is to be afraid of God, but then to be comforted by God, knowing that God is a great God. And we see the same thing going on Here. Again, Mark doesn't say it, but Matthew and Luke let us know that Jesus does say to them, y'all get up. They were scared, but Jesus comforts them. The confused student here, Peter, along with the other apostles, is a big lesson for us. Listen to me, there is so much that goes on under the umbrella of of church or religion or Christianity or, or this or that, and it's really just missing the point. Folks, when Peter, I'm sorry, when Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, he said, far be it from me that I would boast in anything except Jesus Christ and the cross. When he wrote to the church in Corinth, he says, I've determined to know nothing else about you except Christ and Christ crucified. The Bible wants us to know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So who's going to die for you? How are you going to be right with God? How are you going to be forgiven? It must be by somebody's death. There's only one. The glory of God. I think I just heard my Siri go off the shining sun, the visiting saints, and the confused student. But lastly, we have the affirming father. Look at verse 7. When that happens, a cloud overshadowed them. Does everybody see that? If, if the six days didn't remind you of the Exodus, and the high mountain didn't remind you of the Exodus, and the glory didn't remind you of the Exodus, and Elijah and Moses there didn't remind you of the Exodus, well, how about a cloud covering them? Does that not remind you of the Exodus? Does that not remind you of the Old Testament? Absolutely. This is what Mark is doing. He's wanting us to see that what was a picture in the Old Testament of God setting His people free, letting His people go, setting them free, and giving them life, that picture from the Old Testament is seen and experienced and understood ultimately and permanently in Jesus Christ. Our chains are gone. Our sins are washed away. Our our lostness has become that we are now found. Our our death is turned into life. We understand God through the work of Jesus. And it says here in verse 7 that a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. Now God, the Father, is going to speak. He says, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. If you underline or highlight, underline that, listen to him. Now, this isn't the first time that we've seen this, right? It's been a long time. I don't remember when we started Mark. But in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is baptized. And at Jesus' baptism, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. I said it then and I want to say it now, and it's not the thrust of the passage, but listen to me. If you're a father... Learn to be an affirming father. God the Father speaks well of his son. Jesus has heard his dad compliment him. Jesus has heard his dad say, I love you, boy. I love you, son. That's my boy. That's my son. I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. Do you see that? It's not the thrust of the passage, but we can't miss that. If you're a father here, I realize that it's, it's your thing to work, and I realize that you're tired, and I realize that somebody's got to be the enforcer, and I realize that these kids these days need a, need a, need a talking. I realize all of that. Yeah. It's, and all that's good and right and fitting. But we also need encouragement. We also need an affirmation. We also need a good word. I'm okay with you giving me a whooping if I know that you love me. I'm okay with you telling me that I'm not doing right and I need to do better if I know that you love me. I'm okay with you being disappointed with me if I know that you love me. We see the affirming Father here. He says, this is my Son that I love. Listen to Him. D.A. Carson says, The voice recalls God's messianic designation of Jesus at his baptism and God speaking from the cloud on Sinai after six days. But instead of giving the law and instructions for the tabernacle, God commands them to obey Jesus. Jesus, who embodies both God's life-giving word and his presence. Peter, James, and John are on the mountain. They see In his glory, Moses and Elijah show up. Then a cloud covers them. It's the most unbelievable scene we've yet to see in the New Testament. This is fascinating. And then God speaks and he says, that's my son. Listen to him. Do you remember in John chapter 1, verse 14, where this John, the apostle John, writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John had seen it. Do you remember when Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter writes that in 2 Peter. The apostles were taken back, not only by the shining sun, not only by the visiting saints, but by the speaking, affirming, God the Father, this is the one, this is Jesus, this is God, this is God's son. And then he says clearly, listen to him. If you're here today and you're still trying to figure out what direction life should go, if you're here today and you're still trying to figure out what should be the guiding uh, compass in your life, If you're here today and you seem to have lost your way, you're not sure what road you're on. If you're here today and you're not as passionate or as strong as you once were when you were baptized and and you were deciding to follow Christ, would you hear the freshest words from God the Father, listen to my son. I recently had a conversation with somebody in our church who's basically completely fallen away. They're, they're living in sin, they're, they're not thinking about God, they no longer want anything to do with God and His church and His people. And, 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 and so I, I said to them, I said, you know, just a few years ago you had all these people that were that were in your life and you had this and you had that and you had a friend and you had coaches and you had a uh, pastor and you had uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and, and all of those people were speaking into your life. Not, not necessarily as mentors but they were there and you talked to them and, and you listened to them. And, and that's clearly changed. I said, so, who are you listening to now? Who are you listening to? And all they could say was, I'm just trying to be the best me I can be. Y'all, we all know that's a bad answer. Y'all, we need a guide. We need God. J.C. Ryle says, the grand question that concerns us all is not so much what man says or not so much what your minister says or what the church says or what councils say, but what Christ says. He says, him let us hear. In him let us abide, on him let us lean, to him let us look. He and he only will never fail us, he will never disappoint us, he will never lead us astray. And then he says, happier they who know experimentally the meaning of the Bible verse, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, neither will any man pluck them out of my Do you know Jesus? Do you listen to him? Do you follow him? We have a word from the affirming father. Listen to him. Verse 8 says, Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And it was over. It was over. One may have thought, this is it. Like Peter, this is it. We're in glory. This this is heaven. We made it. But let me remind you, nobody makes it apart from the work of Christ on the cross. It had not happened yet. The time had not come. The time had not been fulfilled. There was no way for sins to be forgiven. That wasn't it. That was just a look into it. That was the transfiguration. It happened, it was miraculous, it was unbelievable, but then it ended. But listen here, church. One day we'll see Jesus that way, and it won't end. One day we'll see him in his glory, and it won't end. One day you'll be there with Moses and Elijah, and you can ask them every question you've ever thought of one day you'll be there with your grandma or grandpa or father or mother whoever it was before you who trusted in Christ and knew that heaven was a real place that longed for it and finished the race to get there one day we will be there but only through Jesus It's interesting being a dad I'm a father of 5 and my kids are growing up and so I really need to learn a lot about parenting I like it when I can see the father here speaking about his son. I learned something. And it reminded me that so often I'm looking back on what my dad was like to me for better or for worse. I like the way my dad was to me in so many ways. And I can remember so many countless times, countless times in my life where my dad did something to me that affected me. I can remember when he was mad. I can remember when he was yelling. I can remember when he helped me get my first car. I can remember when my dad taught me to drive a stick shift. I love that. I can remember when I was on the pitcher's mound and my dad came out of the, of the, of the, of the dugout and kind of got in an argument with the umpire and he was defending me. I remember when my dad came home from work one late night, it was dark, he worked second shift and he had a little mini dirt bike with him. And I was supposed to be in bed. He said, come outside, Silas. I want to show you this. He took me for a ride on a dirt bike. And now I'm a dad, and I want to be a good one to my children. And so many times where I say, well, here's what my dad says, JJ. Here's what my dad taught me, Eli. Or this is what my dad always said. There's just something about a father and his influence that makes you say, I want to be that way. I want to be that way. And earthly fathers do a good job sometimes, but we also fail a lot. So we take that earthly fatherhood for what it's worth, right? Only for what it's worth. But there's a Father in heaven who never lets us down. And he's a good father. And if he says it, then I want to hear it. And when he says, listen to Jesus, folks, Let's not complicate it. Listen to Jesus. Read the Bible. Be committed to church and hear Him. And know that it is only through Him where you can be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank You that we're learning from You. Thank You, God, for Mark teaching us Thank you, God, that you've given us a sweet spirit about us that we can take it in. Father, we want to be saved. We want to know you. Move in our hearts that we would believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus,